Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. Well, uh, it is summertime. I want to talk about that. Last week, I spoke on what it means to be a disciple. If you missed that message, I encourage you to go check it out. We do have a podcast. We post it on our Facebook page every week. Uh, But I encourage you to to watch that, listen to that. This could be kind of like a part two uh, of that talk because I want to talk about running your race. And I'm going to talk about it in relation to heading into a summer, but I also just want to talk about it in relation to the overall scope of the times that we're living in and how we need to be intentional and effective with the race that the Lord has set out in front of us. Uh, it is summer, and, and believe it or not, we're almost halfway through 2022. Can you believe that? We're almost halfway through this year. And uh, most of us, back in January, we sat down and we wrote out some goals and some aspirations for this year. And uh, I would venture to say uh, that some of us may have stayed strong, Right? Uh, and then I would say there's a, a, maybe a larger percentage of us that we stayed really strong with those goals and those aspirations until January 10th. And then, and then it's since then, if we, if, I guess the way you could put it is there's, there's a good chance that we are still using those treadmills as a place to hang clothes and to store things. There's probably some rings on our Apple Watches we have not fulfilled. And we intended for those things to happen. And I want to let you know that is okay. We are here now. All right? So let's not look at the past, but let's talk about what does God have for us now? Philippians 3.13 says it this way. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward toward lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was constantly talking about moving ahead. And, and I love how often he also talked about uh, a race. Now, I think a lot of it is because he's relating to a culture, okay? So, I mean, he's, he's talking to Romans, certainly the Corinthians. He's talking to a lot of these, these ancient Greek civilizations. They're the ones that started the Olympics, okay? And, and they were happening even around these cultures, these towns, these cities, these original churches uh, that he started. Uh, but I, I love how Paul, at one point he says, you know, that you, you, you focus on what's ahead of you. You point towards, because everything that's behind you is like rubbish, okay? Now, if you study into the original language of that, that word rubbish uh, would be closer to what most of us uh, would not say around our kids, okay? Let's just say what comes out of the south end of a northbound animal, okay? Uh, that, that's really what he's saying. And, I, and, and I've said this before. It's interesting how everything that God created on us physically, everything on us is oriented to move forward. Okay? Like everything is oriented to move forward. Like your neck can only turn so far. It can't look backwards, right? Like everything on your, your arms, your legs, everything on you is oriented to move forward. There's only one part of your body 
that is not oriented forward. And nothing good ever comes from there. And so I love how Paul paints this picture of, look, forget what is behind you. Now, how many of y'all would say that some of the stuff that's behind you from this last year, you're glad it's behind you? How many of y'all would say it stunk? Like it's not worth focusing on. That's what Paul's trying to get us to do. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. All right, now that seems to make sense, but, but it's like, duh. Like, well, how else would you run, right? Especially if you're a competitive person. It's like, clearly, that's what you do. You run to win, okay? But then it says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to gain a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that lasts forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I love that picture in my mind. Like, just someone just running in circles all over the place. Like, just, how many of y'all remember the show Friends? I mean, okay, remember how Phoebe would run? Okay, I just pictured that in my head. I pictured somebody running like that just all over the place. And, and of course, we'd be like, well, why would you do that? But here's what I think. I think I see a lot of people running aimlessly in our culture and society today. Like they're busy as all get out, running like crazy, like a chicken with its head cut off, but not running at anything. Not running with any particular goal that really matters in mind. Running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. I always think about somebody like at night. It's so much fun to watch somebody at night when they walk into a spider web. <laughs> but you don't know that they walked into a spider web, but you can tell something's going on because it's like, uh, this is going crazy. And that's how I picture. And I think that's what I see a lot of people doing. They are throwing haymakers and not landing any punches because they are fighting the wrong fight with the wrong people. Just swinging aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body. Okay, so I like this. Because this is saying, you don't actually need to worry about swinging at anything or anyone else. You need to worry about being disciplined for you. Like, if you're going to beat up anything, make sure you're disciplined. And focus on what God has asked you to do. Stop comparing your race to anybody else's race. Stop comparing your gifting to anyone else's gift. Stop comparing your family to anyone else's family. Stop comparing your kids to anybody else's kids. We're coming out of a week where there was a lot of that. A lot of comparison. No, you focus on what God has asked you to do. What has he asked you to do? I strike a blow to my own body and make it a slave. Man, that's a strong word. So that after I have preached to others, I myself might not be disqualified from the prize. So I like looking at life like a race. Uh, I used to do triathlons. And, and I would always think about verses like this when I was in the middle of those things. 
anytime you're feeling something physically that's difficult, it's amazing how when you think about Scripture, when you think about Jesus, you think about the cross. It gives you extra energy. It gives you a little bit more perseverance. But this is not a race. Like, when I think about life as a race, I honestly, like, you've probably heard people say it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. I think it's even more than that. Like, life is an eco-challenge. Like, there's a lot of different things you're going to do. Life is like an Ironman. It, it, it's, there's different challenges involved in this. And this is the race that I think God has asked us to do. And here's the thing. Great races are not flat. They consist of climbs and descents, mountains and valleys. And both are hard. Because the climbs require strength, the descents require a lot of focus and skill. And your life is the same. Your life is the same. You will have mountaintop experiences, and that's great. Followed shortly after that by deep valleys. And some of you right now, you might feel like you're on the mountaintop. Like you feel like everything is finally perfect. Everything you've hoped for or dreamed for is happening. I just want to encourage you, be careful. There's a valley coming. There's a valley coming. Word to the wise. I used to do a lot more uh, mountaineering and, and, and climbing to the top of mountains and stuff. And one of the things that you learn is one of the most dangerous times that can happen after you have climbed a mountain is coming down. And even on Mount Everest, more people have died coming off of Mount Everest than trying to climb Mount Everest. And the reason why is because when you've gotten to the top, you're exhausted. You're depleted. But you've accomplished the goal. The problem is when you're depleted, you don't have any energy, then you're also not focused. And when you start coming off those mountaintops and you think, man, I, I did it, I got it, it can set you up to fall. It can set you up to make foolish decisions. It'll set you up to be complacent and apathetic. And honestly, I feel like summer can be that way to us sometimes. Like, we made it. We made it. We did it. Summertime. But the problem is, I think in that, if you get complacent and you get lazy, you're setting yourself up for a fall. You're setting yourself up to be very vulnerable to a plan of the enemy, I think. So some of you, though, you're in the valley right now. You're like, I wish I was on a mountain. I've been in the valley for a long time. And you don't see a way out. I just want to encourage you. Stay strong. God is going to do something new. He's going to bring you another adventure. You're going to climb out of that valley. The truth is this. You're never going to live on the mountaintop forever, and you're not going to live in the valley forever. God gives you seasons. We don't get to dictate the length of those seasons. We don't know when those times are going to be, but it is the way it happens. So the question is, where do you find what you need no matter what? How do you stay steady? How do you stay consistent? How do you, surrounded in natural flesh and a natural world full of natural sin, do you keep a supernatural mindset and perspective and stay focused on the race that God has marked out for you? How do you do that? As we're headed into summer, I think it's a good time to reassess your routines. Things are going to change a bit. 
And for some of you, you may be coasting right now, like you might have just gotten headed in retirement, or you may be heading towards an empty nest, or you may be a student feeling like you've just climbed the mountain after finishing another long year of school. I want to promise you this. Enjoy school while it lasts. Show of hands, how many of y'all ever once in a while think, man, it would be great to go back to high school? Every once in a while, all right? Some of you are like, no, that wasn't a good time for me. I had headgear. It was, it was an ugly, it was, a, it was not good. My point is, embrace the season that God has given you. Don't think, man, I can't wait till I get out of this. No. Adulting is hard. Enjoy that season. You might have a vacation plan. Your work schedule might shift a little bit. You might be around different people. Some of you, you might be around family or extended family. Some of you, you're going to be around family you love. Some of you are going to be around family you choose to love. All right? We all have those situations that can happen. I think it's a good time to regroup and refocus, though, too. My kids, I know that they're excited for summer to happen, uh, but, but th- there's these trends that happen every time summer happens, every time summer happens, okay? But these are not trends that are unique to my family. I know that, okay? How many of y'all, you would say that in the last, okay, summer just started. Like we're literally three days into this, okay? But how many of y'all, parents in the room, in three days, you would say you've heard the phrase, I'm bored at least 12 times in three days, okay? Now, now I don't know how it was for you. I never used those words. Those words did not come out of my mouth, at least not loud enough for my parents to hear it when I was growing up. And my parents heard me say, I'm bored. Oh, boy. They would find a lot of stuff for me to do. So I was perfectly content taking my BB gun and just disappearing because I don't want to be bored around the house. That's for sure. Or this phrase. What are we going to do today? Oh, that'll just wear you out. I want to just get to the place. I don't know. You go pray and ask the Lord to reveal to you. You know? I try to do my best to tell you God's plan, but you got to get some revelation for yourself. Let it start with today. Work it out with fear and trembling. Here's what we've learned. It's good to have some unstructured time in summer, right? It's fine, but that should be a small percentage. If you don't have a plan, summer's just going to happen to you instead of you making summer work. And I think anytime you rest, you should rest on purpose. So there's, there's some structure around our house. And honestly, our kids are never crazy. How many of y'all have ever thought, like, man, humans really don't like obeying structure very much? Has that ever happened in your house? Like, have you ever met anyone that's just like, oh, I love every single rule? Some of you are going to raise your hand right now. You're like, yes. Okay, but most of us, that's not human nature, okay? So, but here's the thing. We're just trying to be intentional because we don't want for three months to pass and our kids to not grow. Like, I don't think it's fair to depend on our education system and our teachers 
to promote all the growth that happens in our family. I think that should be a partnership, and I think the parents should hold the majority of that partnership. And summertime is a good time for us to be aware of that. But this is so much more than summer because everything that I'm talking about applies to your life. Running your race. One thing I know for sure, now is the time to be strong in the Lord. Not waiting for someone else to get their act together. Not waiting for the right circumstances to fall into your lap, but living the life that God has called you to live now with strength, endurance, perseverance, purpose. If you were to ask, and anybody that would ever ask me, like, when's a good time to start saving money? When's the best time to start living a healthy lifestyle or working out? When's the best time to start reading the Bible and developing a devotional life? The answer is always now. Do it now. Why would you wait? And there's an urgency in my spirit. Don't wait to figure out the race. Figure it out now and run it. Start now. Remember what Paul said back to Philippians 3.13, forgetting what lies behind. Okay, it's behind. You can't change it. I was talking to somebody earlier. There's some different situations and circumstances happening in different people's lives. And all of it's out of their control. I want to promise you, I can worry with the best of them. I can worry the heck out of something. And this is what I've learned. It never changed a thing. I've never been able to change a situation or circumstance through worry. I can't change the past either. Straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal of the prize, upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So I want to look at three things about your race. First of all, you got to figure out what you're racing towards. You got to figure out who you're racing with, and you got to figure out what you're going to leave behind. Number one, what are you racing towards? Okay, so that, if I asked that question, I went around interviewing you in this room, you'd probably give me a lot of Christian answers, like Christianese answers. I'm running towards the Lord. I'm running towards the kingdom of God. Glory, hallelujah, brother. I hope none of y'all really talk like that, by the way. No, are those the right answers? Sure. Absolutely. I mean, we all want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. We all want to hear that. Okay. But what about right now? Are you running your race with an understanding that his kingdom come and his will be done now as it is in heaven? Because that's how he wants you to see it. Every now and then, Cody and I find ourselves meeting with younger people to help them figure out, like, their future. And there's a lot of things you can look at. You can look at skills and abilities and passions and dreams. And all those things are fine. They will help you kind of set your goals. But the most important thing that we're going to challenge them on is their character. Do you have the system, the structure, the accountability to have strong character? And when I look at that, there's a great verse. And it's a great place to start because I think it keeps the end in mind when it comes to who you are, because who you are matters. Proverbs 22.1, a good name. Everybody say good name. 
is to be chosen rather than great riches and favor is better than silver or gold. Man, this is something we're trying to get into our kids big time. Favor, man, favor. You want favor with, the Bible doesn't talk about Jesus as a young person from the age of 12 until he entered his ministry. All it says is that he grew in favor with God and man. That's what it says. He grew in stature and in favor with God and man. That's what it says. Favor, a good name. What is a good name? Let's break this down. Honestly, it might be easier to describe a bad name. And most of us could probably think of that. You can see that person a mile away. You may be thinking of somebody in your head right now, somebody that doesn't have a good name for you right now. And if you're not able to think of anybody that has a bad name, there is a slight possibility it's you. I'm just going to throw that out there, okay? There's just a chance. But we know who these people are. We don't have to describe that they, they gossip, they're deceptive, they lie, they cheat, they manipulate, they're greedy, they're angry, bitter. Their business has one star on Google Review. You know who we're talking about. Like, these people, we know who they are. But here's the thing. A good name is hard to obtain. And it's even harder to sustain, like to keep it. And what I've noticed is I've watched a lot of people get just close enough to God to get a glimpse of his calling, of his purpose, to get a God-sized dream and just far enough away from God to earn an awful name. No character. No character. And you have to know your name can work against God's dream. You will, God won't give you more than your characters can sustain. He, that would be hateful for God to do that. To take you to places, even if it was, man, this is his dream for your life. Guess what? You won't get to walk in that if your character's too weak to sustain it. You might have an uphill dream, but your name is probably taking you downhill right now. Everyone we respect in life, everyone that we truly respect, their name had to live up to their dream. How many people can you name right now that when you say their name, there is zero baggage that comes with it? For me, I can only think of a couple of names like this. Billy Graham. Talk about integrity. Talk about character. Mother Teresa. From everything I've read and everything I know. Martin Luther King. Same. But it's a pretty small club. We need the grace of God. We need to be humble and teachable. Because some of you may feel like this. Like, man, I'm not sure my name. I'm not sure. You can turn it around. You can turn it around right now. But I think you got to understand what does it take to truly build a good name? What does it take? Because ultimately your name is your character. That's what I'm suggesting. 
And a major aspect of character, if you want to look how the word defines it, it's by how we love. That's how you establish character. It's by how you love people. Okay, now, not how we define love, and the world has a jacked up definition of love. It is certainly not God's definition of love, okay? But how the word defines it, okay? So let's go to one of the most famous chapters that talks about what love is, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And you've heard this verse, I'm sure, at weddings or different things like that because it's the foundation that you should have when it comes to loving your spouse. But it really speaks of who we should all be. We've heard even probably Jesus' name put in place like this. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or does not boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. But what if God's intention all along was for you to put your name in those spots? What if God is wanting to attach your name to these characteristics? And even if you feel like you have blown it and blown it for a long time, if you can first and foremost understand that Jesus has been this love for you, and if you can truly accept that, embrace it, and let the power of that grace transform you, then you can also be that to the world around you. So let's, let's look at this together. But I've got this first, and I've got blanks. I just want you to picture your name in these blanks. I'll do it for me. James is patient and kind. Except when I'm driving. James does not envy or boast. Unless I've won Monopoly. James is not arrogant or rude. James does not insist on his own way. <clears throat> James is not irritable or resentful. I've probably been irritable seven times already this morning. James does not rejoice at wrongdoing. I think I do have a strong case for that one but rejoices with the truth. Yeah, not 100%. James bears all things. Woo. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. How does it make you feel to insert your name? How much truth? Is there? Because I really believe that this is a great way, a great litmus, if you will, to how our character is doing. I want us to look at the second part of this verse. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Okay? Your choices matter. But more importantly than that, what you value matters. 
because what you value ultimately will determine your choices. That's the order. Matthew 6, 21 speaks to that. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, okay? So your heart was going towards something, and then you put your investment in it. But it already had your heart. And we talk about this verse a lot of times in relation to giving, but your treasure determines so much more than just that. It determines everything. Like, what do you value? We all have things like this that our hearts will get bent towards. Like, even silly things. Right? Like if you got a, a big old jacked up, souped up truck, what tires and wheels you put on that truck is going to matter to you. And your heart is going to need those. Right? Like if you're a student and you value your Air Force Ones, apparently your choices about how you walk matter. What do I mean by that? Have you all ever watched a student who had a nice pair of shoes that they cared a lot about try to walk so that they don't put creases in their shoes? Okay, like I, I think I remember doing this like at one point. Like I had some Reebok pumps at one point. I, I wanted those things to stay pristine, right? So how do you walk when you don't want your shoes to get creased? So the irony is, your shoes are going to look cool. <laughs> but you look stupid. <laughs> but the point is, you're going to walk weird depending on what you value. You're going to look weird depending on what you value. Couples, if you value your marriage, your choices about how you spend time with each other is going to matter. Parents, if you value your family, your choices about who you surround yourself with matters. One of the things I've always loved about our church is the value of the relationships that we have. I mean, it's honestly, it's not that common. I, I, I've never been another, in another place where we've been so committed to the value of friendship. New Life Church, we do our best to value that. You need to be around people. You need people. We say stuff like this all the time. Where's your biblical community? Okay, but here's the thing. I'm basically a high-functioning introvert. All right? Let me describe what I mean by that. Like, I can be around people. I've described this before, but I have a social gas tank. Okay? And the Holy Spirit will help me fill that sucker up on Saturday. So that when I come to church on Sunday, my tank is full. I'm ready to rock and roll. I'm ready to meet some people. I'm ready to encourage some people. I'm ready to preach the word. I'm ready to be around a bunch of people. But at one point or another, that tank is going to be empty. And I don't get great miles per gallon on that sucker, okay? At one point or another, it's going to be empty. And then at that point, oh, I love you, but I don't want to be around you. Like, I'm, I'm done. Are there any introverts in the house? Any introverts in the house? Most of the real introverts wouldn't raise your hand. Like, you just. But it's high functioning. Okay, so it just looks a little different. And so the thing is, it's not that even when my tank is empty, it's not that I have to be by myself. 
That's a true introvert. A true introvert, they got to refuel completely by themselves. That's not how it is for me. I can be around someone. They just can't need anything from me. Like, if you're cool with just hanging out and not talking or needing my help to fix something or anything like that, you can talk. Just don't expect me to talk back. Like, then I'm cool. I want to hang out with you all the time. I'm different. I can spend the whole day not talking to somebody. I could. I'm perfectly happy with putting some headphones in, just settling into a long, dramatic action thriller with a sad end ending, like Braveheart, like by myself. I'm totally cool with that. I can, I can do that all day long. We're getting ready to go on a road trip. Some of y'all road trip. Uh, we're going to take a little bit of an extended vacation, a sabbatical, if you will, later on this month, and we're going to take a road trip, and uh, and it's not and, it, and, and it's not going to be restful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, but I'm glad we're going to do. It. We're going to make some memories. We're going to see some stuff. But some of y'all, like you, do a road trip. You need some like upbeat country music that everybody can sing along to in the whole car, and let that energy just fill that vehicle so you can stay awake and full of joy. I don't need all that. I want all, everybody to go to sleep. <laughs> Y'all go to sleep so, I, so it's quiet. And then let me slow jam to some 70s love ballad bands like Bread. All this, that's why I'll just rock with that. If I need something a little more intense, I'll listen to some NF. He's intense. He's, he can be a little angry sometimes, you know, or maybe some worship music. But I don't, I, y'all sleep. I'm good. I'm good with that. I think I've illustrated the point. But here's what I know for sure. That doesn't mean that I'm ever meant to do life alone. Just because that's my personality does not mean that I get an out. No, God created me for relationship. And he created me specifically to be connected and working with the body of Christ. People in your life matter. Who are you racing with? I'm going to go through these pretty quick. There was a Kenyan runner named uh, Kipchoge. And Kipchoge, he, he actually had finished a marathon in under 24 hours. He ran at a 434-mile pace. That is crazy. Like, the fastest I've ever run a mile was sub-5. He ran below that for 26 miles, Okay. But here's the thing. He already had the record for a marathon at two hours and 25 seconds. But he set his mind. He had the goal. He wanted to run the marathon in under two hours. And he tried several times and couldn't do it. And then he realized what he needed. He realized he couldn't do it alone. So he got some other elite runners that would take time turns pacing him at the pace that he needed to run at to beat the record, to get under two hours. And he was able to do it. He surrounded himself with the people that could help him keep and set the pace that was gonna take for him to reach his goal. That is a great picture of what every one of us need in life. We give that advice to young people, especially when they're looking at heading into a season where they're ready for marriage. We just tell them, you run your race. You run your race. 
you keep your eyes focused on Jesus, you run your race. God would never ask you that in the process of trying to figure out who you're supposed to marry, that you're going to find some broken down person in the ditch. And you should stop running your race and go over there and pick them up and help them. No, every unhealthy codependent relationship that I've ever seen started that way. Somebody got distracted off of their race and they tried to go help somebody else run their race. And God never created you to do that. Run your race. I tell them, run your race. And as you're running your race at one point or another, if you can glance over and you see somebody that's running about the same pace as you, and the truth is you could run without them for the rest of your life and you'd be fine, but you're better running with them. That might be the person you're supposed to spend the rest of your life with, maybe. But you are never meant to stop running your race, slow down your race, get distracted from your race, run off course. No, you run your race. But the same thing applies to your friends in life too. Your friend groups, you need people that will be a pace setter for you. Not just people you go to the lake with, not just people you watch your kids on the ball fields with. No, people that are going to challenge you, push you, and help you go. You need that. Studies show that you are the average of your five closest friends in every area of your life, economically, physically, socially, spiritually, so if your friends work out, there's a lot better chance that you're going to work out. If your friends invest and are wise financially, there's a better chance you're going to be wise financially. If your friends are faithful in worship, in the word, in devotion, there's a better chance that you're going to be faithful in those things. And the opposite is true. The opposite is true. If your friends don't care about their health, you're probably not going to care as much either. If your friends struggle with their finances, the blind lead the blind. If your friends don't prioritize spiritual disciplines, worship the word, the gathering of the saints, there's a good chance you won't either because you influence each other. So here's a good question to ask. Do you have the same end in mind as the people you've surrounded yourself with? Are they ahead of you? Are you dragging them along? Or even worse, are they dragging you down? Those that know me have a, uh, know that I have a tendency to be overprepared. Uh, and people make fun of me until I have what they need. And then it's not so funny anymore, is it? But this is especially true when it comes to the outdoors. When it comes to camping, anything like that, it's probably because my dad, I grew up, he was teaching hunter safety and survival, and I watched all these poorly made videos about families who went out in the middle of nowhere, didn't have what they needed, and they all died. And I'm like, that ain't going to be me. That ain't going to be me. It's not going to be my family. I'm going to have what we need. And I do. Thank you very much. Like, if you, if you, trust me, you're out in the woods, I got you. All right? But here's the problem. It also means I have a hard time trusting. One of my overseas trips, one of my first overseas trips was to Nepal. And we were going to be backpacking through the Himalayas, going to villages, preaching the gospel, and starting churches in those villages. That's what we were going to be doing. So they gave me a packing list of the things that they felt I should bring. I just happened to disagree. Like, I'm like, I feel like I know more than these people. Because I've backpacked, and I've hiked, and I've spent a lot of time outdoors. So I packed. So much extra stuff. I packed a tent. I packed a three season plus 
two-man North Face tent that weighed about 15 pounds because I'm like, I'm in the Himalayas. Everybody else going to freeze to death. Not me. I'm going to have what I need. Not knowing that basically all over the Himalayas, there's hotels. It's the weirdest thing. Like in places where there are no cars, they got hotels, and a lot of them are called the Bob Marley Hotels. I don't know why. Probably connected to the marijuana crops that they have in Nepal. I don't know. So my sleeping bag, my tent, all my extra everything, useless. I still had to carry it. So I spent almost two weeks carrying over 65 pounds, over 120 miles through the Himalayas, when really I probably could have just been carrying around 30 pounds. Now I would just look around bitter at everybody else. This is so much fun. And it's heavy. It, it was bad enough that there were a couple of days I just wore me out to the point that other people had to trade out bags with me so that I could make it. This is a great picture of life. There are so many people carrying around stuff that God never intended or asked you to carry. And the problem is you're carrying it so long and it's wearing you down so much that it's also now affecting the body of Christ that's around you because now they're trying to help you carry it. I want to let you know, God gave us a very clear packing list. And this is the only one that matters. It will tell you everything you need and everything you don't need. And you don't need to add anything to it. You can't. So I don't know what the extra things is. Might be bitterness, might be unforgiveness, might be arrogance, might be anger. I don't know what it is. It might be a relationship you need to get rid of. Number three, what are you leaving behind? What are you leaving behind? What do you need to take out of your bag that you've been carrying that God never created you or designed you to carry? Because you cannot run your race when you're carrying stuff that you don't need and you're not supposed to carry. And I would encourage you to take these cards and I encourage you to write something on there you can be as cryptic as you want to be. It might be initials, might be a name, might be a struggle, might be a habit, might be an addiction. I don't know what it would be. But as a physical act of your free will in faith, write it on it and make the decision, I'm not carrying this into this summer. And I'm done carrying it on my race. And here in a little bit, during this last worship song, if you want, you can bring them up here to the cross physically leave them at the cross. If you don't want to do that, you can drop them in the tithes and offering boxes. You can take it home, light it on fire. I don't know. Please don't light it on fire in here. But, but do something that just represents what your heart wants. And that is, I don't want to carry this anymore. You need to know what you're running towards. You're going to have to have the right people to help you get there. But there's a lot of stuff you don't need to bring with you. Figure it out between you and the Holy Spirit. Write it on there. Let's see what he wants to do. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. I'm going to give an opportunity for salvation. There might be somebody in the room right now. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe you did at one point or another, but you know for a fact you're away from him right now and you need to rededicate your life to him. I'd love to give you a chance to do that right now. So, 
Don't worry about anybody else that's around you. Don't worry about what they're thinking. They've got their, eye, their eyes closed. Every believer in here, they're praying right now because they understand the importance of this decision. But if you're really honest, you haven't been running the right race. It may be that your race hasn't been anywhere towards the things of God. It may have never been towards his plan and his purpose. Maybe it was at one point or another, but you've been running a little aimlessly lately, and maybe for a long time. And this morning, the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, come back to me. I wanna get you back on track. I wanna help you work on your name. The name that I say, the name that I see, the potential that you have. I wanna give that to you. And the only way you get that is by being surrendered to who he is. You don't get it any other way. So if you're here and you would be willing to admit, that's me, I'm ready to come to him. I'm ready to surrender to him. I'm ready to come back to him. And what I'm gonna ask you to do is not what gets you saved, but what I'm gonna ask you to do can help release faith inside of you. It's just you admitting it. And if you're here and you know you need Jesus, you're away from him, you need to come back to him. Nobody's looking around. I want you to put your hand up right now with boldness and confidence and don't wait. As soon as I see, as soon as I point out, you can put your hands down. Yes, ma'am. Got you guys there at the back. Got you guys. Yes, sir. Got you, bro. Yes, ma'am. Anyone else? I'm ready. Got you. Thank you. Look, you raise your hand, me seeing you. That's not what gets you saved. I just want you to know as your brother in Christ and as a pastor, I'm agreeing with you right now that your life will be fully surrendered to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's me. I admit it. I need him. Is there anyone else? I need Jesus. I'm away from him. Okay. Father God, I thank you for those hands. If you raise your hand or even if you didn't, you know in your heart you need, you need to get right. You can just pray a prayer like this. Say, Jesus, I need you. I know that I'm a sinner and I know I can't save myself. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I ask for your forgiveness for my sin. I believe that you rose from the grave. And when you did, you defeated sin. You defeated my sin, past, present, and future. You defeated death itself. And I'm thankful for that because it means that one day I get to spend eternity with you in heaven. But I'm also not interested in just waiting till then. I wanna live my purpose for you now. And I know the only way I can do that is I can't be in control. I can't be the one setting the parameters of the race. I've got to let you do that. And so I repent. I turn from going my own way and running my own way. And I want to run your way. Help me by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the standard and instruction of your word by the strength and encouragement and challenge of the body of Christ. I surrender to you as my Lord. Help me to have your dream, your purpose, your race for my life. Father, I thank you for that. I pray that we would all be aware of that as we're coming into the summer, God, I pray against the spirit of complacency and apathy in the name of Jesus. And I pray that our homes would be filled with your spirit, would be filled with conviction, would be filled with laughter and fun and joy and everything that comes from the fruit of your spirit, but void of every scheme and plot of the devil in Jesus' name. That even in a season 
where we're not at school and it's a season of travel and vacation, all those things where we're growing even stronger in you. We speak it, we believe it, we receive it, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen.